0: Welcome to today's reading of the Fort Dodge Messenger and the Mason City Globe Gazette for Tuesday, January the 9th, 2024. I'm your reader, Scott Splavick, and here's your first story from the Mason City Globe Gazette. It's entitled, Trump Brings Campaign Message to Mason City. Former President tells Supporters, Country is Finished If He Loses. This is written by Alexander Schmidt of the Globe Gazette. Former President Donald Trump made a campaign stop in Mason City on Friday night, visiting to rally support just days before the first votes are cast in the 2024 Iowa caucuses. We'd better win this damn election or this country is finished, Trump told a cheering crowd of several hundred supporters at the North Iowa Events Center. The 45th president is seeking the nomination of the Republican Party for a second non-consecutive term after losing the 2020 election to Democrat Joe Biden, who is also seeking a second term. Trump mocked Biden at one point, saying he can't even find his way off the stage after a three-minute speech, because after about three minutes, the medicine wears off, before offering up his imitation of Biden wandering around the stage. The majority of Trump's remarks were centered on Biden, who he described as the worst, most corrupt, most incompetent president in history, and a really bad guy. Trump re- leads the Republican primary field with around 50% support among GOP caucusgoers in recent Iowa polls. While his top rivals, former UN Ambassador Nikki Haley and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, need strong showings in Iowa to stay viable, if Trump proves the polls right and takes the state, which he narrowly lost to Ted Cruz in 2016, all signs point to him riding that victory to the GOP nomination. Together we've fought long and hard to rescue the Republican Party from the likes of Mitt Romney, Karl Rove, and Paul Ryan. Trump said to booze from the crowd, and there's no way we're going to let them claw their way back into power with the establishment pawns like Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley. This is the greatest movement of all time, Trump said. We love Iowa, and on January 15, you will help us deliver a victory like we've never seen before. In your heart, Trump told the crowd. You know I'm the only one who will put America first. January 15th will be the third time Thomas Swanson, age 28, of four-city, will vote for Trump in the Iowa caucuses, but Friday was the first time he's seen the former president speak. Swanson said he was most looking forward to hearing Trump take the fight directly to President Joe Biden and what he sees as a failed administration. It's a disaster the way our country is being run, Swanson said. Our country is on the verge of collapse. I know Trump can better our country, Swanson added, because he did it before and he'll do it again. When he gets back in there, he'll be an advocate for pro-life policies, social security, and a secure border. Immigration and the border were also at top of mind for voter Dan Avery of Measure who said 8 million illegals is the issue that decided his vote for Trump. Trump said if elected again to the presidency, he will expand his first-term policies to begin the largest domestic deportation in U.S. history. His plans include rounding up undocumented immigrants already in the U.S. and placing them in a detention camp waiting to be deportated. deported. excuse me. Trump's first administration implemented policies that prevented people from applying for asylum at the southern border and separated children from their families. He said his administration completed construction of 531 miles of border wall, some of it in environmentally sensitive areas. He said he was going to do it, and he got it done, Avery said. I can't wait for him to get back in there and get this country straightened back out. As for the misguided military in the last three years, the Afghanistan withdrawal was totally assed up. 13 people killed for no reason, military equipment left there, not a good thing at all for our country. The former president often deviated from his scripted remarks to make light of his legal troubles, saying at one point, I've got more indictments than Al Capone, and joking, if my big, beautiful plane flies over a blue state the next day, I'll get a subpoena. Trump's spring campaign event schedule may be interrupted by periodic court appearances, he is currently under indictment in state and federal courts for 91 felony counts, with some trials scheduled to begin as early as March. Trump also argued if he had been reelected in 2020, all those people dead in Ukraine would have never happened. Those people dead in Israel would have never happened. Israel would have never been attacked. Ukraine would have never been attacked. We wouldn't have inflation. China wouldn't be looking to Taiwan and thirsting, drooling, to attack. Julie Billings was just reelected to a second term as Cerro Gordo County GOP chair. Though she doesn't endorse any candidate in her official capacity as chair, Billings personally plans to caucus for Trump, whom she has supported since his 2016 campaign. She has attended dozens of his rallies. Billings said Trump has her support because he secured our border, we were economically sound, and he protected our rights. Buildings looks forward to a record showing for Republicans at all 11 Cerro Gordo County caucus locations. The message is how important it is that we get out and caucus. People decide. We have got to show out in huge numbers and show the world. We need to get back to the Constitution, the grassroots, the founding fathers, and what this country was built on that made it so great, she said. This is the last chance, Trump said of the 2024 election, to save America from Joe Biden's banana republic. Trump's attempts to overturn the results of that election resulted in his second impeachment by the U.S. House of Representatives, though he was later acquitted by the Senate, after a mob of his supporters stormed the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. Biden, in an address commemorating the January sixth attack the same day of Trump's remarks in Iowa, said Donald Trump's campaign is about him, not America, not you. Donald Trump's campaign is obsessed with the past, not the future. He's willing to sacrifice our democracy, put himself in power. The Iowa Republican caucuses will be held at 7 p.m. on January the 15th. Our next story is entitled, MCFD's Fearsome Foursome Gives Man New Lease on Life. It's written by Robin McClelland of the Globe Gazette. Bruce Seidel has been practicing gratitude. On November the 18th, while doing some yard work at his Mason City residence, he began to feel unwell. He'd been working hard, cutting branches, tidying up, and rushing to get the job done. I'd been pushing to finish and didn't take enough breaks. I could feel I wasn't breathing well, but I thought I'd be okay, he said. Before long, Seidel, aged 66, realized he needed medical assistance. He called out to his partner Jill to dial 911 and made his way out front to meet the ambulance. Although Mason City Fire and Rescue arrived within minutes, during the short wait, Seidel experienced a cardiac arrest. Upon arrival, the team quickly assessed the situation and took over CPR efforts from Jill. Seidel's heart began beating briefly, only to stop again. Now, 1st Battalion responders, known to Seidel as the fearsome foursome, Lt. Dustin Pillard, Scott Watson, Wes Hardy, and Eric Mackey had to act fast. Seidel wasn't responding to their efforts and they made the decision to use a Lund University Cardiopulmonary Assist System, or Lucas, device. A Lucas device provides mechanical chest compressions at a fixed rate in order to allow first responders to focus on other tasks. Every Mason City ambulance has one on board. In Sidel's case, it may have been the difference between life and death. On that terrifying evening, the MCFD team made all the right moves. They were able to transfer Sidell to the ambulance and then to Mercy One North Iowa Medical Center's Emergency Department. Sidell wasn't aware of the frenzied pace as healthcare workers scrambled to stabilize him. The amount of time he had been without a heartbeat made the case that much more traumatic. In order to give him the best chance at a recovery, Sidell was placed in a coma and his body temperature was lowered to just 34 degrees. For three days, he lay in this state of suspended animation. Sidell's nephew, Hunter Dean, recalls the IVs, medications, and machines Sidell was attached to. He had tubes coming from just about everywhere, Dean recalled. In a bit of serendipity, Dean had been participating in the Mason City Fire Department's Explorer Program. The program allows young people to job shadow firefighters to determine if the career suits them. Dean works at 4C Western Ware in Mason City and is planning to major in fire science and attend the fire medic program in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I was really just checking out some options and had really enjoyed the program. Now, and this event with Bruce didn't cement it exactly, but now I can see myself going forward in the fire service, Dean explained. After the emergency team got Seidel stabilized, he was moved to the critical care unit on Mercy One North Iowa's sixth floor. There, he was supported by doctors, nurses, and staff. Every moment I was at Mercy One, I was treated with the most respect, Seidel said through tears. Tests revealed that Seidel suffers from an alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency known as A1AD. In particular, Seidel has the SZ variant. This deficiency means he is unable to produce the antitrypsin protein that can protect the lungs from irritants. The alpha-1 antitrypsin protein is produced in the liver. Without it, patients are at risk of chronic pulmonary obstructive disorder, or COPD. Seidel's gratitude extends to every person he encountered during his nearly two-week stay at Mercy One North Iowa. He started his gratitude drawing not long after he was awakened from his coma. Since his release, Sidell has been staying with his sister Kim and brother-in-law Denny Withers. I'm all on one floor here. No worrying about the stairs, Sidell said with relief. While the road to recovery may be long, Sidell has few concerns. I'm just happy to be here, which I wouldn't be without them all. It was the people that made it so good, Sidell said. Every person in the whole hospital experience touched my heart. Our next article is entitled Child Advocate Program CASA Seeks Volunteers in Cerro Gordo County. This comes from Globe Gazette staff. The court-appointed Special Advocates, or CASA, program trains and supports community volunteers to advocate for a safe and permanent home for children who have experienced abuse and neglect. Currently, the program in Cerro Gordo County and surrounding area needs at least five new volunteers to serve local children, according to a press release. Our goal is every child who needs a CASA volunteer has one, said CASA of North Central Iowa Program Coordinator Crystal Engstrom in a statement. CASA volunteers come from a variety of backgrounds and receive training in topics including the juvenile justice system, social services, and child trauma response. Upon completion of training, volunteers are sworn into service by a judge. Once assigned to a case, volunteers regularly visit the child as well as talk with the child's parents, teachers, service providers, and other adults in the child's life. After developing an understanding of the child's situation, they write and submit reports to the courts, making recommendations about the child's needs and best interests, the release said. CASA volunteers work collaboratively with others involved with the case and make sure the voices of these children are heard, Engstrom said. They connect with the child and help make sure the child's case stays on track. The next virtual training session is scheduled for early February but interested people need to apply now to begin the screening process. For more information or to apply, contact Engstrom at area code 515-824-6001 or visit CASAIowa.org. The CASA program is overseen by Iowa's Child Advocacy Board, which became part of the Iowa Department of Health and Human Services on July 1, 2023. St. Ansgar cancels classes after threat on social media. This comes to us from Alexander Schmidt of the Globe Gazette. St. Ansgar Community Schools cancel classes Monday after a threat posted on social media site Snapchat. The cancellation came in the wake of a school shooting Thursday that stunned the town of Perry, Iowa, when a 17-year-old killed a 6th grade student and wounded 7 other people before authorities say he died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. A reported social media post made Sunday night, January the 7th, 2024, caused the cancellation of school in the St. Ansgar School District on Monday, January 8th. said Mitchell County Sheriff Greg Beaver in a statement. Implied threats of violence and referencing Perry, Iowa, caused administration and law enforcement to close the school out of an abundance of caution for the safety of the students and staff school administration continues to work with the sheriff's office to provide information to families as quickly as possible as information becomes available the district sent a statement to parents and staff via electronic message sunday night that said the post included a list of schools on a shooting list with st ansgar at the top of the list deputies with the sheriff's office working with the iowa governor's school safety bureau the iowa internet crimes against children task force the iowa division of criminal investigation and the fbi continue to investigate to determine the source of the threat according to beaver these investigations are complex and all leads are being examined closely at the time of this news release no suspect has been identified and no arrest has been made said beaver Mitchell County law enforcement and the administration believe there is no further threat and we are just doing our due diligence to ensure the safety of our students and staff, according to the district's press release. Still, in light of the threat, the building will be closed tomorrow, Monday. No practices or events will be held. St. Ansgar schools will resume classes on Tuesday with the start of the second semester now pushed to Thursday. Clear Lakes The General Store Rebrands Ribbon Cutting Set. This comes from Globe Gazette staff. One Vision announced in a press release the transformation of The General Store into One Vision Thrift Store. The name change was driven by the desire to better communicate the connection to One Vision Services, whose mission is to stand with and support individuals with disabilities, the release said. Proceeds from the thrift store sales are earmarked for insurance shortfall funding of individuals One Vision serves across North Iowa. The funds assist in a variety of ways, including supporting the employment of persons served through employer partners. One Vision invites the public to celebrate the newly branded One Vision thrift store during a ribbon cutting event. One Vision and the Clear Lake and Mason City Chambers of Commerce are co-hosting the event, which is slated from 1115 to 1145 a.m. Thursday, January the 11th at the Thrift Store at 830 U.S. Highway 18, Clear Lake, Iowa. And Mason City announces alternate side parking ahead of forecast storm. This is written by Robin McClellan. Alternate side parking goes into effect in Mason City at 7 p.m. Monday, January 8th. Mason City officials announced in a press release when the ordinance is in effect. The following general provisions apply. Parking shall be permitted on the odd-numbered side of the street on odd-numbered days of the month. Parking shall be permitted on the even-numbered side of the street on even-numbered days of the month. People moving their vehicles from one side of the street to the other side must do it between 4 and 7 p.m. the night before. On cul-de-sacs, parking shall be prohibited on all vehicle turnaround portions. During alternate side parking, signs prohibiting parking at all times on one entire side of the street only shall not be enforced and alternate side parking regulations shall be in effect. Alternate side parking regulations shall have no effect on streets where parking is prohibited on both sides. The emergency snow route, which includes 1st Street Northwest from Monroe Avenue to Pierce Avenue, will be in effect. No parking is allowed on 1st Street Northwest from Monroe Avenue to Pierce Avenue until further notice. Alternate side parking regulations do not apply to U.S. Highway 122 and U.S. Highway 65 south of 8th Street South and north of 5th Street North, nor to the business district. Business district is defined as the area bounded by and including all streets between Georgia Avenue on the east, Adams Avenue on the west, 4th Street South on the south, and 4th Street North on the north. Also, the three-block section of 2nd Street Northeast that extends from North Georgia Avenue to North Massachusetts Avenue. Exception, parking shall be permitted with one hun- within 100 feet of the main entrance of a commercial business location on the side adjacent to the building during regular business hours. Our next article is entitled Ella Wittenbell named December Noon Rotary Student of the Month. My name is Ella Wittenbell and I am a senior at Mason City High School. My parents are Jim and Megan Wittenbell. I have an older sister Emily and two dogs. My biggest supporters through my high school years have been my grandparents Keith and Jenny Theta, and Bob and Judy Wittenbell. Current activities and achievements include a member of the Mason City High School volleyball and softball teams. I have earned academic all-conference eight times. I am a member of the National Honor Society I work at TJ Maxx and NIP Fitness Center. I have logged over 120 service hours in the past four years, earning silver cord recognition. I have participated in many different service opportunities, though my favorite has been assisting volleyball camps at the high school and the YMCA. I have enjoyed preparing materials for classroom teachers and have volunteered at the Humane Society, most enjoying Walking the Dogs. I plan to attend NIAC in the fall and continue to explore career choices. Now we'll turn to obituaries and we remember Robert D. Habercorn, age 93, of Mason City who passed away peacefully Saturday, January the 6th, 2024, surrounded by family. Memorial services will be 11 a.m. Saturday, January the 13th, 2024, at Hogan Bremer Moore Colonial Chapel. 126 3rd Street, Northeast Mason City, Iowa, with Reverend Burton Everest officiating. Private inurnment will be in Elmwood St. Joseph Cemetery. Visitation will be held one hour prior to the service. Next, we remember Marilyn E. Cook, age 90, of Rockwell, who passed away Wednesday, January 3rd, 2024, at the Rockwell Community Nursing Home. A funeral service will be held at 10.30 a.m. Friday, January twelfth, 2024, at Wesley United Methodist Church, 1405 South Pennsylvania Avenue. Visitation will be held from 4 to 6 p.m. on Thursday, January eleventh, 2024, at Major Erickson Funeral Home, 111 North Pennsylvania Avenue. Interment will be held in Memorial Park Cemetery. Memorials may be directed to the family of Marilyn Cook or Wesley United Methodist Church. Online condolences may be left for the family at com. Now we remember Bernice A. Stahl, age 88, who died Friday, January the 5th, 2024, at Iowa Specialty House. Funeral services will be held at 2 p.m. Saturday, January 13, 2024, at Peace Reformed Church, south of Garner. Visitation will be 4 to 6 p.m. Friday, January 12, 2024, Cataldo Funeral Chapel, 160 East 4th Street, Garner, continuing up to one hour prior to services at the church burial in the church cemetery. Next, we remember Shannon L. Giordano, age 88, of Mason City, who passed away Thursday, January the 4th, 2024, at Good Shepherd Health Center. A Mass of Christian Burial will be held at 10.30 a.m. Wednesday, January the 10th, 2024, at Epiphany Parish, Holy Family Catholic Church, 722 North Adams Avenue, Mason City, Iowa. Visitation will take place from 4 to 6 p.m. Tuesday, January the 9th, 2024, at Hogan Bremer Moore Colonial Chapel, 126 3rd Street, Northeast, Mason City, Iowa, with a rosary and vigil service to follow. In lieu of flowers, memorials may be directed to the Crisis Intervention Center. Next, we remember Ronald Wass age eighty five of adele who passed away peacefully at his home with his family surrounding him on january the second twenty twenty four a memorial service was held at ten thirty a m on friday january the fifth twenty twenty four at emanuel lutheran church in waukee burial with military honors took place at the winterset cemetery in lieu of flowers, memorial contributions may be donated to the Winterset Green Rogers American Legion Post Number 184 and or to Emanuel Lutheran Church for their memorial fund. Online condolences may be left to the family at www.caldwellparish.com. Now we remember Beverly Bev Ann Grimm Friend age 80, of Rochester, Minnesota, slash Charles City, Iowa, and formerly of Forest Lake, Minnesota, who began her eternal journey of peace on Friday, December 29, 2023. Bev elected to be cremated and interred in the Memorial Prayer Garden Columbarium at Faith Lutheran Church in Forest Lake, Minnesota with a private family service on Saturday, January 13, 2024. Memorials may be sent to St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church in Charles City, Iowa, or Faith Lutheran Church in Forest Lake, Minnesota. And we remember Rose M. McClemens, age 92, of Mason City, who died Saturday, January the 6th, at the Rockwell Community Nursing Home in Rockwell. Mass of Christian Burial will be held 10.30 a.m. Saturday, January the 13th, 2024, at Sacred Heart Catholic Church, 305 Elm Street East, Rockwell, Iowa, with Rev. Josh Link Celebrant. She will be laid to rest at Hillside Cemetery in Sheffield, Iowa. Visitation will be held from 4 to 6 p.m. Friday, January the 12th, 2024, at Hogan Bremer Moore Colonial Chapel, 126 3rd Street Northeast Mason City, Iowa. Now take a quick look at sports and the top story is entitled Back Into a Groove. Lake Mills starts 2024 with big win at Forest City. Alex Manis caught fire early, knocking down five three-pointers in the first quarter to lead Class 1A number four Lake Mills to a 76-56 road win on Friday. Manis finished with a game high 24 points on eight three-pointers. The senior guard stretched the senior guards stretch of four straight made threes in the first quarter forced to four city timeout with the Bulldogs leading 21 to four. Lake Mills finished the quarter up 25 to 10. The Bulldogs' lead never shrunk below 10 for the rest of the game. It was the first game back after the moratorium at for Lake Mills. It was tough, but you just have to get back to work after you get back, Manis said. We work really hard every day to get better. Lance Helming added 17 points for Lake Mills, 15 of them coming in the second half to help the team pull away. Logan Bacon tacked on 12 more points. Ty Dillavo led Forest City with 15 points while Carson Hall scored 13 and Ty Sopko scored 11. Lake Mills moves to 7-1 in conference play to stay atop the top of Iowa East, tied with North Union. In girls' high school basketball, Forest City dominates in bounce-back win at home. Just a few days after losing its first game of the season, Class 3A number 10 Forest City looked back to its pre-moratorium ways with a 67-21 win over Lake Mills at home on Friday. The Indians rolled from the tip, outscoring the Bulldogs 16-3 in the first quarter. The lead never shrank below double digits. Forest City blew the game before halftime, going into break on a 12-0 run. Indians opened the third quarter with a 15-4 run. Colette Logis paced Forest City with 20 points in the win. Jaden Jerome scored 13, and Jenna DeJantes added 12. This is the team that I saw before Christmas, Indians coach Matt Erpelding said. I can't think of anything negative from tonight. I feel really good getting this bounce-back win. Freshman Cora Sauer scored a team-high 10 points for Lake Mills. Here's a rundown of what you can see sports-wise on television today. Men's College Basketball, 5.30 p.m. on FS1. It's Seton Hall at Georgetown. 6 p.m., the following games can be seen on the ACC Network. It's Wake Forest at Florida State. On CBS Sports Network, it's Toledo at Kent State. On ESPN, it's Missouri at Kentucky On ESPN2, you can catch Houston at Iowa State. ESPNU has Yale at Brown, and SEC Network has South Carolina at Alabama. At 8 p.m., you can catch the following games. On the ACC Network, it's Notre Dame at Georgia Tech. On CBSSN, it's Creighton at DePaul. ESPN's got Duke at Pittsburgh. ESPN2 is Texas A&M at Auburn and the SEC Network has Vanderbilt at LSU. At 9.30 p.m. on FS1, it's New Mexico at UNLV, and at 10 p.m. on CBSSN, it's San Diego State at San Jose State. In women's college basketball at 5 p.m. on BTN, it's Maryland at Michigan State, 7 p.m. on BTN, it's Minnesota at Michigan, and 7.30 p.m. on FS1, it's Marquette at Seton Hall. In NBA basketball, on NBA TV at 7.30 p.m., you can see Memphis at Dallas. In men's college basketball, the Hawkeyes defeated Rutgers on Saturday, 86-77. The Sooners beat the Iowa State Cyclones, 71-63 on Saturday in the Big 12 opener for for both teams. And Northern Iowa fell to Indiana State 77-66 to 66 on Sunday, snapping the Panthers' four-game win streak. Now a reminder that you are listening to the Mason City Globe Gazette and the Fort Dodge Messenger on IRIS, the Iowa radio reading information service for the blind. All material heard on IRIS is intended solely for the use of the blind and print disabled. I'm your reader, Scott Blavik. Now we'll turn to the Fort Dodge Messenger. Winter blankets area is the top story. Fort Dodge expected to get 5 to 8 inches, NWS says. This is written by Kelby Wingert of The Messenger. Much of Iowa is getting its first taste of winter weather as this week begins. Between Monday and today, Fort Dodge is expected to see 5 to 8 inches of snowfall, according to the National Weather Service out of Des Moines. On Monday, flurries began around 2.30 p.m. with the NWS predicting snow rates of 1 inch per hour possible at times overnight and into Tuesday morning. After most snowfall has ended, the NWS expects wind speeds and wind gusts to increase, causing blowing and drifting snow Tuesday afternoon and evening. We lucked out, said Webster County Sheriff Luke Fleener. Southern Iowa is going to get the worst. According to the National Weather Service, portions of southern Iowa could see as much as 12 to 15 inches of snowfall. Still, Fleener asks area residents to stay off the roads unless they have to travel and, if they do, to have, travel dur- they do have to travel during the storm, keep an emergency kit in their vehicle. Use good judgment, he said. Sometimes conditions get bad enough that even our deputies can't get to people that are stranded until morning. During a storm, the Webster County snow plows get pulled off the roads around 6 p.m. and don't go back out until 4 a.m., meaning a stranded motorist could be waiting in the cold for several hours until help can arrive. If a vehicle does slide into a ditch and the engine can still run and is being used to keep warm, Iowa State Patrol Trooper Paul Gardner said it's important to make sure the vehicle's exhaust pipes are not blocked. If travel is absolutely necessary, Gardner said, there are some things drivers should do to be prepared for an emergency. Always make sure you have plenty of supplies with you, like food, water, plenty of warm clothing in case you're stranded, or if you crash into the ditch, he told the messenger last fall. And always make sure your cell phone is fully charged or carry a cell phone charger to be able to call 911 or communicate with others. After a storm, when roads are safe to travel again, it's still important for drivers to take precautions, Gardner said. Check their tires, their windshield wipers, and make sure they have a first aid kit in the vehicle in case they get stranded, he said. The people are going to be out and about. They need to make sure they're driving at a safe speed, avoid tailgating other vehicles, watching out for emergency vehicles, and most importantly, make sure they're buckled up. The city of Fort Dodge plows were first sent out at 3 p.m. with four plows taking care of bridges, hills, and main roads, according to Doug Barkema, operations manager for the Public Works Department. At 7 p.m., six plows were sent out for the bridges, hills, main roads, and snow routes. At 11 p.m., another shift of snow plows was sent out, and at 3 a.m., Barkema expected to have the city's entire fleet of 10 plows, a grader, and end loaders on the streets. With the construction on the Kenyon Road Bridge, the city is encouraging travelers to use the Carl King Bridge during snowfall, Barkema said. Because of the construction, the Kenyon Road Bridge is just one lane going in each direction. We're very concerned about it, Barkema said. If we have to, we're going to have to close it down. If a decision to close the Kenyon Road Bridge is made, the information will be pushed out on the city's official social media pages and the messenger will share it as well. Barcoma also encourages Fort Dodge residents to move their cars off the streets, adding that if the city receives more than two inches of snow, a tow ban will be issued. With the NWS projecting 7 to 12 inches of snowfall across much of the MidAmerican Energy Company service area through Tuesday, the electric company is prepared for possible weather-related problems. MidAmerican Media Relations Manager Jeff Greenwood plans to hold some line crews in parts of its service area beyond their normal shifts. The company also alerted other crews to be on standby overnight to respond quickly to an outage or incident. While most snowfalls alone don't threaten mid Americans infrastructure, Greenwood wrote, they do increase the risk of equipment, or excuse me, of traffic crashes that can involve equipment like utility poles. Heavy wet snow can also cause branches to fall, damaging overhead lines. If a power outage does occur during this or any winter storm, some area communities may have warming centers set up for residents. In Otho, the Otho Fire Department has a generator that it will use to power the fire station in the event of a citywide power outage. The department will share that information on its Facebook page, Otho Fire and Rescue. The cities of Dayton and Gowrie have city generators that will power the city's electric grid if they lose service from the utility provider, according to Dylan Hagen, Emergency Management Coordinator for Webster County. For residents who don't live in a community with generators or warming centers available, they should plan ahead for the possibility of losing electricity, Hagen said. If possible, they should plan to have family or friends they can stay with, he said. If staying somewhere else isn't an option, Hagen said residents should make sure they have plenty of warm clothing, blankets, water, food, and medications in case they can't get out for a few days. Hagen also warns that with the winds expected after the storm, snow will likely be blowing and drifting and can drift up along the side of a house, blocking ventilation for furnaces and water heaters. He said residents should make sure those ventilation sources are clear to prevent carbon monoxide from backing up into their home. Next is an article written by Kathy Abradovich of the Iowa Capitol Dispatch, and it's called Iowa GOP Chairman Says Winter Weather Could Prevent Record Caucus Turnout. Republican Party of Iowa Chairman Jeff Kaufman said Monday he expects a robust turnout at the 2024 Iowa caucuses despite the first blast of winter bearing down on the state a week before the event. However, Kaufman said the weather could get in the way of breaking the 2016 record of 186,000 caucus participants. Weather could prevent a record-breaking turnout, but Iowa could still have a great turnout, he said. Kaufman spoke to reporters after the Republican Party of Iowa's legislative breakfast at the Hilton Hotel in Des Moines. In the January 15th, Iowa Republican caucuses are the nation's first presidential nominating event for the 2024 election eligible voters must attend in person to participate in 2016 Kaufman said he began to suspect a record turnout was likely on the morning of the caucuses when the party received a huge volume of calls from first-time caucus goers asking for instructions on how to participate that this feels i mean the passion the anecdotal emotion it feels a little bit little bit like 2016 he said Caucus-goers must be registered as Republicans to participate, but they can register to vote at their caucus, and Democrats and Independents can change their registration on caucus night in order to qualify. The Iowa Democratic Party will also hold caucuses on January 15th, but presidential preference will be registered only by mail-in ballot. Usually both parties hold their caucus on the same night. That changed this year when the Democratic National Committee stripped Iowa of its first-in-the-nation status. Kaufman threatened Democrats with prosecution if they attempt to both vote in both the Republican and Democratic caucuses. He noted that Iowa now has a Republican Attorney General, Brenna Byrd. It is against the law, and she will prosecute, I believe, if someone participates in the GOP caucus and also mails in a Democratic ballot, he said. If a Democrat attempts to do that and participate in both, that's against the law, and we're going to be monitoring that very, very carefully. He said there has been talk in the past about Democrats attempting to influence the GOP caucus, but he has not heard of any significant organized effort to do that this cycle. I don't see anything, and I think I would. Any effort that has dollars behind it has massive people calling that, he said. Now we come to an article entitled, Renton Recuperates at Home Following Pneumonia Scare. Olympic gymnastics great Mary Lou Retton said she faces a long battle recuperating at home from a rare form of pneumonia in which doctors weren't sure whether she would survive. In an interview that aired Monday on NBC's Today show, Retton said while wearing a breathing tube pumping oxygen through her nose that she was sent home after a few days in a Texas hospital, but had an immediate setback that required her to be put in intensive care in October This is serious and this is life, Retton said, and I am so grateful to be here. I am blessed to be here, because there was a time when they were about to put me on life support. Retton, age 55, was supposed to meet her daughter at a football game in Dallas, but never showed up. A neighbor noticed a car door left open in her driveway, went to alert Retton, and found her alone at home. The neighbor drove Retton to an emergency room. After Retten was discharged with the pneumonia diagnosis, Shayla Kelly Schrepfer, the oldest of Retten's four daughters, said she found her mother almost unresponsive the next day and took Retten to another hospital where doctors found that her oxygen levels were dangerously low. After a week, Retten's medical team considered putting her on a ventilator. Schrepfer said she was told it wasn't certain whether Retten would make it through the night. It was crazy, Shrepfur said, sitting next to her mother during the interview. I just remember loving on you and giving you a hug. They were saying their goodbyes to me, Retton said. Unable to breathe on her own, Retton went on oxygen treatment and, after weeks in the hospital, improved enough to be sent home. I'm not great yet, Retton said. I know it's going to be a really long road. The family revealed during her hospital stay that Retton didn't have medical insurance. Retton said Monday that she has more than 30 orthopedic-type operations over the years and couldn't afford insurance, but she now has it. Donations poured into an online fundraiser the family set up and has received more than 8,300 donations, totaling nearly $460,000. Retton was 16 when she became the first American female gymnast to win the all-around title at the 1984 Los Angeles Olympics. The native of Fairmont, West Virginia, also won two silver and two bronze medals at those summer games to help bring gymnastics, a sport long dominated by East European powers like Romania and the Soviet Union, into the mainstream in the U.S. Retton became the first woman to be featured on the front of a Sweeties cereal box. She retired from competitive gymnastics in 1986 and did numerous commercial endorsements. She also made several film and television appearances, including a stint on Dancing with the Stars. She and her husband, Shannon Kelly, divorced in 2018. When you face death in the eyes, I have so much to look forward to, Rhett said. I'm a fighter and I'm not going to give up. Iowa legislature reconvenes. Students rally at capital for stricter gun laws. This comes from the Associated Press and the dateline is Des Moines. The Iowa legislature reconvened Monday for a somewhat subdued start to the 2024 session, given the flurry of legislation passed last year and the one-week countdown to Republicans' presidential caucuses. Before gaveling in, Iowa Republicans celebrated their trifecta, control of the House, Senate, and Governor's mansion, and the policies they passed last year, including creating publicly funded educational savings accounts to help families pay for private K-12 through schools, removing books with sex acts from school libraries, and blocking discussion of gender identity in the classroom and cutting property taxes. The impact of Republican leadership is undeniable, Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds said at a Republican Party of Iowa breakfast. With just one week away from the Iowa caucuses, the eyes of the country are going to be on Iowa once again. And you know what? I am so proud of what they will see. The chambers were last filled in July for a special session, which Reynolds convened to pass a ban on abortion after about six weeks of pregnancy, which is currently on hold as it is reviewed by the state Supreme Court. Republican leadership in the House and Senate both identified cutting income taxes and addressing worker shortages as priorities for the new year. Leaders on both sides of the aisle also acknowledged last week's shooting at Perry High School, wherein a 17-year-old opened fire on the first day back to school after winter break, wounding seven students and staff and killing an 11-year-old boy. In the House chamber, there was agreement from Republican and Democratic leaders that their work this session needs to address Iowa students' safety in schools. In her opening remarks, House Minority Leader Jennifer Confirst identified reproductive rights, recreational marijuana, and public education as her caucus's priorities along with school safety, saying an idea shouldn't be discounted in the Republican-controlled chamber just because it's introduced by Democrats. Later Monday, several hundred students, parents, activists, and Democratic legislators rallied in the Iowa Capitol Rotunda in response to last week's shooting about 40 miles northwest of Des Moines. High school and college students in the Des Moines Metro area also walked out of classes Monday to advocate for stricter gun laws in the state. In other political news, Florida Republicans oust state party chairman facing rape allegations. This comes from the Associated Press, and the dateline is Tallahassee, Florida. The Republican Party of Florida ousted chairman Christian Ziegler in a special vote on Monday as police investigate a rape accusation against him, a move that came a week before Governor Ron DeSantis competes in Iowa's first-in-the-nation presidential caucus. A majority of about 200 members approved the ouster in a voice vote during a closed-door meeting that Ziegler did not attend, according to Republican State Senator Blaze Igolia, who was there. He said no one spoke in favor of Ziegler. Evan Power, the vice chair of the state GOP, was chosen to replace Ziegler. The party suspended Ziegler last month and demanded his resignation, saying he can't effectively lead during a critical election year with the allegations, which Ziegler denies, swirling around him. DeSantis, U.S. Senators Marco Rubio and Rick Scott and other Republican leaders had called on Ziegler to step down, but he refused. DeSantis is seeking the GOP nomination for president, but ahead of the January 15 caucus, he trails far behind former President Donald Trump, who also is a Floridian. Scott is running for a Leary election Florida also will play a key role in determining control of the U.S. House. We have to move past this and have to focus on 2024, said State Senator Joe Grutters, who preceded Ziegler as party chair. Florida is one of the most important states for the Republicans, and we have to continue to bring home victories, especially for Rick Scott, and the top of the ticket with Trump as our nominee eventually. Talking to reporters while the meeting was ongoing, Ingoglia, a former chair of the GOP, said he believed the scandal had harmed the state party, particularly among small donors, and that it needed to return to focusing on grassroots campaigns and fundraising. "Any time you have a scandal, it's going to affect fundraising," Ingoglia said. Ziegler and his wife, Bridget Ziegler, have admitted to police that they previously had a consensual sexual relationship with Christian Ziegler's accuser. Bridget Ziegler is an elected member of the Sarasota School Board and co-founder of Moms for Liberty, a national conservative activist group that has successfully gotten members elected to school boards across the U.S. She has not been accused of a crime. Bridget Ziegler also was appointed by DeSantis last year to the board of the governing district for Walt Disney World. DeSantis and the GOP-controlled Florida legislature last year took control of the district in retaliation after Disney publicly opposed a state law banning classroom lessons on sexual orientation and gender identity in early grades. The law was championed by DeSantis. The Sarasota Police Department is investigating the woman's accusation that Ziegler raped her at her apartment in October. Police documents say the Ziegler's and the woman had planned a sexual threesome that day, but Bridget Ziegler was unable to attend. The accuser says Christian Ziegler arrived anyway and assaulted her. Christian Ziegler has not been charged with a crime and says he is innocent, contending the encounter was consensual. Bridget Ziegler is not accused of any crime. The Sarasota school board asked her to resign last month, but she refused. Now let's take a look at the sports page. First up, short week for Dodger teams. This is written by Chris Johnson. This could be a short week for the Fort Dodge basketball teams, with snow predictions anywhere from 3 to 10 inches. The Dodger girls may be the only team to hit the court this week. Both teams will travel to Des Moines East tonight if weather allows. The Dodger girls will play East at 6.15 p.m. and the Dodger boys to follow at 7.45 p.m. against the Scarlets. The Dodger girls will have one more game on Thursday at Des Moines North. Tip is set for 6.15 p.m. Fort Dodge is coming off a tough loss to number five Mason City on Friday. The Dodgers led into the fourth quarter before falling 57 to 47. Mackenzie McGillrath led the Dodgers with 15 points, while L.J. Mayle had 18. Mayle is the Dodgers' leading scorer at 15.9 per game, while McGillrath is averaging 10.2. The Dodgers have won five straight against East, who was led by Asia Thompson. The Scarlet Senior is averaging 12.7 points per game. Fort Dodge has won 13 of the last 17 meetings against North. The Polar Bears won last year's contest 46-40. North is paced by senior Mariah Van Erz- Erzvede, who averaged 18.3 points, points per contest. The Dodgers boys picked up two last week, beating Mason City 60-55 and Sioux City West 64-55. Against the Riverhawks, Cade Westerhoff led the way with 18 points, Drake Warland scored 16, and Carter Woodruff added 11. On the season, Westerhoff is averaging 17.1 points per game, and Warland is scoring at a 10.7 clip. East has won three straight against Fort Dodge, beating the Dodgers 56-46 to a year ago. Fort Dodge has won nine of the last 13 contests. East is led by Abel McKell, who is scoring 10.5 points per night. In NFL news, San Francisco earns number one seed. When the San Francisco 49ers arrived at training camp back in July, the bitter taste of last season's postseason disappointment still lingered over the team. Now that they have finished the regular season as the number one seed in the NFC following a mostly meaningless 21-20 loss to the Los Angeles Rams on Sunday, they can really start tuning, the, turning their attention to changing their playoff disappointments. We're right back where we want to be, left tackle Trent Williams said. We're the number one seed. Obviously, it's never perfect. We're still going to try to improve with the opportunities we have and go out there whenever we play the week after next and try to keep the season alive. The 49ers' past two seasons ended with losses in the NFC title game. They fell to the eventual champion Rams in the 2021 season and then at Philadelphia last season in a frustrating loss because quarterback Brock Purdy injured his elbow on the opening drive and San Francisco was forced to play a large portion of the game without a functioning quarterback. Purdy returned this season and played at an even higher level, throwing for 4,280 yards, 31 touchdowns, and a league-best 113 passer rating. Purdy was one of several key players who got the day off on Sunday when the focus was on staying healthy for the playoffs. Shanahan was wary of the lack of urgency for the season finale, so he stressed hard practices last week to keep his team sharp. Our goal was to get the number one seed. That was our first and foremost goal. We did, Shanahan said. It was just a little bit weird this last week, but I like how our guys handled it. I loved how our year went. We set out to do this. It was real happy. I was real happy with the number of guys. I thought guys got better throughout the year. But as our players have been saying, we still feel our best footballs forward. The Niners will get some rest early this week, then plan on two hard practices late in the week before finding out their opponent in the divisional round. I feel like this is just going to be a great week for us to just get better as a team so we make sure that we're in the best version of ourselves for when that moment comes, linebacker Fred Warner said. Whoever has to come to Levi Stadium, I want us to be ready. I want us to be our best version of ourselves when that time comes. Staying healthy is working for the Niners. The Niners' main goal in the season finale was staying healthy, and they mostly did just that, with notably one injury coming when defensive end Salon Farrell left the first half with a knee injury that could sideline him for at least the playoff opener. The kicking game needs a little help. What was mostly a strong rookie season ended on a bad note for kicker Jake Moody. He missed a 38-yard field goal for his first missed kick of any since week seven at Minnesota. He then missed his first extra point of the season after making his first 60. Shanahan said there are no plans to look at other kickers before the playoffs. He's been great all year, Shanahan said. He was rough on those two today, but no, we're good with Jake. Running back Elijah Mitchell for a second straight week carried the big load with Christian McCafferty out with a calf injury. Mitchell led the team with 52 yards rushing and scored a touchdown for the second straight game. McCaffrey doesn't take many plays off when he's healthy, but Mitchell is showing he can be depended on if Shanahan wants to change the look. And Packers clinch playoff berth. Jordan Love accomplished something in his first season as a starting quarterback that his four-time MVP predecessor failed to achieve last year. He and his Green Bay Packers, he has his Green Bay Packers in the playoffs. Love threw for 316 yards and connected with the Dontavian wicks on a pair of touchdowns as the Packers earned a wild card berth with a 17-9 victory over the Chicago Bears on Sunday. The Packers bounced back from a 2-5 and five start by winning seven of their last ten games, including three straight. I think everyone knew what we were capable of, Love said. All the games we lost were close games that we knew there were little things we could fix that would put us over the hump to win those games. I think we were all, always right there in every game, so that was the thing that was easy for us to keep believing. The Packers needed a win to reach the playoffs. Green Bay delivered by beating the Bears for a tenth consecutive time. Green Bay was in a similar situation for his regular season finale last year, but lost 20-16 to at home to the Detroit Lions in Aaron Rodgers' last game with the Packers. The Packers traded Rodgers to the New York Jets less than four months later to make way for Love, the 2020 first-round draft pick from Utah State. Love guided the NFL's youngest team to the postseason by throwing 18 touchdown passes and one interception over his last eight games. I said it back in camp, he's the best quarterback in the league, Packers cornerback Jair Alexander said, and he's been proving it these past few weeks. Chiefs rested for postseason. The Kansas City Chiefs hardly could have envisioned a better way for the regular season to end against the Los Angeles Chargers. They rested Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and most of their big-name stars. Their backups played well in their absence, helping the Chiefs to a 13-12 road win over a division rival. Chris Jones even got the sack he needed to trigger a $1.25 million bonus, which the Pro Bowl defensive tackle said he would use in part to buy his fellow defensive lineman Rolex watches. I had to beg Chiefs coach Randy Andy Reid for one more series, Jones said with a smile afterward. He gave me the finger like, one more and you're done. So I went on the field praying to God like, oh my God, please. It was fun all around for Kansas City, which had been having very little of it when it was losing three out of four games. The Chiefs looked better in a win over the Bengals that clinched the AFC West and the number three seed, though, and made their game against the Chargers almost entirely meaningless. But now the reigning Super Bowl champions do have some momentum as the Miami Dolphins prepare to visit for a wildcard game Saturday night. The Chiefs, the team that played earlier this season in Germany and Kansas City held on for a 21-14 victory. That brings us to the end of today's reading of the Mason City Globe Gazette and the Fort Dodge Messenger. For Tuesday, January the 9th, 2024. I'm your reader, Scott's Playbook. Thanks for sharing your time with IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind.